Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing today, guys? I like it. Good to see you guys. So glad you're here today. The rest of you that are online on vacation in the mountains at the beach, we're glad you're here too. It's just so good to see you guys. <laughs> we're in a series we're calling Family Matters, and we've been talking for several weeks now since Mother's Day, as a matter of fact, uh, about the family. If you want to get any of those manuscripts, just uh, email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. We'd be glad to send you the very notes that I use, and then you can use them to do whatever you want to do, teach somebody else, do your own research. Uh, or you can go to the Bridge NC app and uh, follow along even today. All the notes, all the scriptures that I'll be sharing with you today are available there. Before you get into it, though, I got some praise reports. Anybody like praise reports? Amen. Second Sunday of the month, we're bringing praise reports to you, and we got some really cool ones this time, some good stuff that God's on the move around here. Uh, through the month of April, <clears throat> you know, let's just be honest, guys. I know some of you are new, and some of you have been here a very, very long time. Uh, Pastor Farrell Hardison uh, led this church for 27 years, and, and during that time, he led it from 70 to 1700, and, uh, and he's, he's one of the only pastors I know that's known all over the world by one name. You got Oprah, Cher, and Farrell. I mean, it's just you know, it's, it's the world. Uh, and I came in following that. I mean, call, you know, I'm sacrificial lamb. That's what they call me. I'm just the guy that follows him. You know, and uh, and we and we took a hit. Let's just be honest. Attendance went down. There are always some people that are attached to the preacher, not to the ministry or the vision. And and it's just you know the sheep scatter sometimes. And so we did take a hit. And we went down for a season, and we expected that to happen. We were praying it wouldn't happen aggressively. And here I am to tell you, as of the end of April. The bridge now has the highest average attendance in its history right now. Amen. And, 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 and we are on pace to have the highest uh, giving rate we've ever had in our history. Good stuff. But far more important than any of that. Are you ready for this? Through the month of May this year, 158 people have given their lives to Christ to the Bridge Ministries. Praise God. Give it up. Good stuff. Of course, you that are part of the church family know we're praying for 365 this year, so we've got a ways to go, almost halfway through the year, almost halfway through the goal. We're praying that 365 people or more will give their lives to Christ through the ministries of this church, and we're just seeing God do some really, really awesome things. We're thrilled you're here. God's on the move. Let me just throw a personal note. This will be free for you to use whatever you want to. Um, I have a sense that, that it may well be, you know, some of you are kind of on the fence, not sure. I kind of like it here, but I don't know if I want to engage or not. It may well be that the most uh, spiritually significant thing you do with your whole life may be to get involved in what God is doing in this church. And I say that without apology because I'm giving the rest of my productive life to it. I'm just, I'm not asking you to do anything that, that I'm not doing myself. And so if you haven't done ownership yet, get in. If you're not on a serve team yet, go to test drive. If you're not in a group, then by this fall, we hope to have a group for you. We're gearing up. Maybe you ought to be a group leader. But get involved. Be a part of what God is doing. Now let me say quickly, I said that may be the spiritually most significant thing you do with your life because, in fact, the most spiritually significant thing you'll do with your life is what you invest in the family that God's made you be a part of. Your spiritual family is huge, but the family that God has attached you to biologically and adoptively becomes the most important thing we do, and that includes taking care of our parents, especially when the roles reverse. So let's get into it. Jesus was tough on the Pharisees, 
he really called them out. His, his, he reserved his harshest words, his hardest words for the Pharisees. And this was one of the subjects that he went after them on. Mark chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. Uh, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. But you say it's perfectly all right for a man to disregard his needy parents, telling them, sorry, I can't help you. For I've given to God what I could have given to you. And so, Jesus said, you break the law of God in order to protect your man-made tradition. You see what Jesus is saying? He's calling them out saying, don't you dare use God as a scapegoat for not taking care of your parents. Because it is one of the top ten. It's one of the ten biggies. Not one of the ten suggestions. One of the ten commandments. Make sure you take care of your parents. And so today, as a part of this series, we're going to talk a little bit about that journey. And specifically, when the roles begin to reverse, when we come to that place that we, in fact, are responsible for and pouring into our parents as they age. And let's just be honest, guys. This can be one of the most emotional topics of all of the topics we deal with with family. We've, been look, we've looked at courtship. We've looked at marriage. Last week we looked at parenting. And now as we talk about parenting our parents, it can be incredibly uh, difficult. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house? It's tough. This is a demanding season. This is, this is an emotional season. This is a, uh, a financially impacting season. This is an emotional season. This is a requires a lot of wisdom season. This is an emotional season. Did I mention it's emotional? Those of you that don't know, my mom went to be with the Lord 18 months ago, and, and of course, Kim's mom is 87 and beginning to, to deal with the issues of dementia, and so it's a very fresh topic for us. We moved back to Goldsboro specifically for the purpose of taking care of our moms, and so this is a fresh topic for us. I hope it'll be meaningful to you. There are four stages. I just want to unpack four stages for you. Of, of aging parents and how to deal with them, and frankly, how to deal with the stress that's associated with them. I believe the Bible is clear about this. I believe this is practical wisdom for Christian living, and I hope that you'll lean into it, whether you're at that season of life or not. Maybe it's your grandparents that you're looking to take care of. Maybe uh, you're past that season and you're giving advice uh, to other people, as I'm doing now, because both of my parents are with the Lord. Uh, but whatever the circumstance, lean into this one. This is a tender topic. It's an, it's an important topic. I posted on Facebook last night about prepping for this message, and, and I got a, a thread from someone in a previous church who said, I still remember when you preached on this topic a dozen years ago and, and how that wisdom helped me with my own parents as they reached into their 90s. So lean into this one. Okay, let's deal with this. There are four stages that we need to be aware of. First two we're going to hit pretty quickly. Uh, stage three and four we're going to get into in more detail, okay? Stage number one, I just call it the grandparenting stage, and it is a wonderful stage. I had no idea how wonderful the grandparenting stage would be. I am the silliest granddaddy on the planet. I love it. <laughs> I, you know, there's lots of exceptions to it, but generally in the 50s or 60s, uh, it's a wonderful season for most of us. But whatever the age is, Solomon was right. Proverbs 17, 6, an old man's grandchildren are his crowning glory. Kevin and I are in that season. We've got seven grandkids. And, and, uh, and, and to be honest with you, the parenting season blew by so quickly that I missed out on a lot of the joys that I'm getting to enjoy now. I'm getting to watch their development. I mean, I see this season 
uh, as an opportunity to soak up some of those joys. Friday is uh, generally my day off, and, and I work in the yard and, and, and do honey-do list kind of stuff. But 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon, I go pick up my granddaughters that live in the area, and we go to sweet pea, and we eat ice cream every Friday afternoon. I call it sweet tooth uh, just to aggravate them because they say, Dang it, it's not sweet tooth. It's, I don't even know what the name of it is. Used to call it sprinkles. But anyway, we go and we just we have a blast eating ice cream together. But hear me, what I need you to hear, and we're going to move on. As a grandparent, just because the parents are primary in their lives, I need to say that, just because the parents are primary in their lives at this point, uh, you can still make a significant contribution in their lives. You need to be aware of that. They are watching. 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul wrote to Timothy, I remember your true faith. That faith first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I know now you have the same faith. Timothy, in other words, owed a lot of his heritage, a lot of his success to his grandmother Lois, and I'll, I'll tell you quickly without hesitation that I owe whatever success I have in life hugely to my grandmother McKeithen, Grandma McKeithen was a precious prayer warrior, saint of God, moved in the spirit and the prophetic and just blessed my life in so many ways and defined my life in so many ways. So if you're in the grandparenting season or you're looking for that coming pretty soon, if you're begging your kids to have kids so you can move into that season, don't put too much pressure on them. Go ahead and put some. Don't, but don't put too much pressure on them. <laughs> Enjoy it, but remember there are responsibilities and privileges too. Got it? The second season is the retirement stage. Uh, and again, most folks look forward to this stage. Usually it comes somewhere in the 60s, maybe 70s. Uh, nowadays, you, it's, but it's bottom line, whatever age, you leave your regular job, you're relieved of the day-to-day -day responsibilities associated with it, and you come into a new season of life. Kim's dad, Mr. Lloyd, uh, was a wonderful man of God, great man of God. Uh, he worked at the same, uh, with the same company for 33 years, uh, and, and that job took him away from home a lot. He was gone a lot during the season, and so he thoroughly enjoyed his retirement years. I mean, he didn't slow down a bit. He used to say, you know, I worked harder after, uh, working harder after I retired than I ever did while I was on the job. And, and yeah, he continued to be a song leader at, at First PH Church. He continued to be a deacon there for many years. Eventually, he and Miss Almeida got him a place at Lake Okeechobee in Florida, and they'd winter in Florida, and they'd summer in North Carolina. He just, they just thoroughly enjoyed their retirement years. And no doubt, if he were still around, if he were part of the Bridge family, he'd be one of the spiritual fathers in the house, and people would look to him in that kind of way. But hear me, not everybody adjusts well to retirement. Not everybody handles that pretty well. I heard of one couple, the, 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 uh, the man retired and and uh, so when the wife would come into the living room, she's cleaning the room, living room, she'd say, honey, go to the kitchen because you're in my way. I'm trying to clean. She'd get to the kitchen. She'd been there trying to fix lunch. And she'd say, honey, can you go to the bedroom? I, I, I've already cleaned the living room, and now I've got to fix lunch, and you're in my way. And so she'd go to the bedroom. And that went on for weeks after week after week. And then one day they're sitting at dinner. She said, you know, I've been praying and really thinking about this thing, and I've decided that we need to pray that the Lord takes one of us home. And I'm going to go live with my sister. <laughs> Hopefully you won't have that kind of stress in the transition of life. But hear me, guys. There's an awful lot of people, their whole self-worth is tied up in their work, and they can't see themselves beyond that thing. And so they lose this sense of feeling good about themselves during their retirement years. Some people spend their retirement years worrying 
uh, driving their kids crazy over trivial kind of stuff. Some go off the deep end spiritually. I've seen uh, people that live for the Lord all their lives come into their retirement years and just go absolutely bananas. I brought a message one time on how to deal with this prodigal son and had a lady come to me after the service. She said, that was a great message, Pastor Jim, but what do you do when you got a prodigal dad? I mean, that kind of stuff happens sometimes. All of those scenarios, all I'm saying is that can create some real stress in the family. And that's why the Bible is clear about our role during these years. Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, teach the older men to exercise self-control and to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that is appropriate for someone serving the Lord. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. I don't know how you find the old women in a church. I don't know. Do you make an announcement and say, would all the old women please see me after service? I mean, I don't know how you do that, but whoever they are, whatever age they happen to be, I'm in trouble. Don't send me emails, okay? I promise I'll shut up about that. But uh, whatever it is, when we come to that season of life, we are as responsible uh, as we ever were, even though we may not have a day-to-day responsibility, because there are people, generations coming along, that are looking to us for wisdom. They're looking to us uh, to know how to love their husbands and how to take care of their kids, and, and there are just lots of responsibilities, and so our job becomes to share that wisdom, share that example. I was talking with some folks last night at a family wedding, and, and they were making a comment about uh, Kim and I uh, coming back into the pastorate and coming to the bridge, and, and, and I said, man, I'm having a blast. I'm having a great time. It's just what an amazing group of people and what an amazing team. And, they, and, and one of the guys said, well, what do you love the most about it? You know what I love the most about it? Sorry if this excludes you somehow, but we've got, we have a young uh, staff of some of the most dedicated people I've ever had the privilege to know, and I get to pour into them my 45 years of experience. What an amazing privilege that is. What an amazing opportunity that is. And I'm watching Pastor Andrew in the Mount Olive location, Pastor Ryan at the Bridge location flourish, and I'm watching these young guys and gals that are part of the team learning new things and, and coming to me and saying, Jim, can you speak into this? Can you speak into that? And they go, and they're just it's just amazing to watch. And I, I want that for all of you as you move into that season of your life. It ain't time to slow down. Work just as hard in your retirement years as you ever did. Just go into a different season. Got it? Ready to move on? The three and four I want to really want to focus on because this is where it gets kind of emotional. The, uh, stage number three is what I call the role reversal stage. And that's the stage that if your parents live long enough and you live long enough, you actually begin to become the guardian and they become the child. Psalm 90 verse 10. The length of our days is 70 years or 80. If we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Again, there's plenty of exceptions in terms of the number of years. Some are younger when they pass. Some are older, but generally of 70 to 80 years. Medical advances these days. We tend to live longer on average. But whatever the age is, people in this stage, um, they begin to lose confidence in themselves. They begin to lose confidence in their abilities. They begin to, to... to have limitations in their, their physical ability. They're not able to do a lot of the things they used to do. They, maybe their mind isn't as quick as it once was. Technology doesn't help. Technology's advancing, and quite often they didn't grow up in a technological age, and it can be challenging for them, and they struggle to keep up with the technology and, and quite often are intimidated by computers and smartphones and, and, and that kind of stuff. One fella told me about setting up his dad's computer, and, and, uh, and he taught him how to do some basic kind of things and put him a print 
printer there next to it and, and, and said the first day that his dad was working on the computer alone, he called him and, uh, and said, I don't know what to do. I, I, I created a document and I, and I tried to send it to the printer and I got an error message that says, I can't find the printer. He said, I took the monitor and said, it's right here. What do you mean you can't find it? <laughs> it can be a challenge sometimes and, and they can begin to, to, to complain and say, I hate them things. I hate them computer things. I hate them smartphone things. But the reality is what's going on is they're feeling out of touch. They're feeling out of sync with what's going on around them, and it can be incredibly stressful for them. So they turn to their adult kids um, for help, to, to buy a car, to, to open a banking account, to figure out how to do this smartphone thing. Maybe the brave ones to go on Facebook so they can pictures, see pictures of their grandkids, whatever it is. But they're just too insecure to do those things alone. And let's just be honest, guys, for you that are in that stage, at first those requests for help are honoring. Uh, and it can be uh, kind of a source of appropriate pride to say, you know, my dad asked for help on this, my mom asked for help on that, and I was glad to help them. But eventually, uh, we will deal with some of the emotions of the guy that came to me one day and said, you know, I'm, I'm glad my dad asked me for help, but all my life, he's the one that I've gone to. Who do I go to now? I remember coming to that place where I actually said to Kim with my mom's case, my dad died quite young, but... I went for, on my mom's case, and I said, Kim, I have to embrace the reality that she needs me more than I need her at this season. And that's emotional. That can be difficult to make that transition. Some of you remember Irma Bombeck, the, uh, the author and columnist. Some of you don't, but she wrote a column some time ago that I found in the files that I thought was so appropriate that I'd share it with you, even though she's long since gone. The name of the article is, When Did I Become Mother and Mom Became the Child? Listen <clears throat> with your heart. Does it begin one night when you're asleep and your mother is having a restless night and you go into her room and tuck the blanket around her bare arms? Or did it come the rainy afternoon when you were driving home from the store and you slammed on your brakes and your arms sprang protectively between her and the windshield and your eyes met with a knowing, sad look? The transition comes slowly as it did between her and her mother, the changing of power, the transferring of responsibility, the passing down of duties. Suddenly you're spewing out the familiar phrases that you learned at the knee of your mother, so where's your sweater? You know how those stores can get cold with that air conditioning. You look nice today, didn't I tell you? You'd like that dress. The other one made you look old. Do you need to go to the bathroom before we go, Mom? The first year you celebrate Thanksgiving at your house and you roast the turkey and your mother sets the table. The first time you unconsciously turn to her in a movie and say, shh. The first time you rush to grab her arm as she walks over a patch of ice. As your own children become stronger and more independent, your mother becomes more dependent and childlike. So you bathe and pat the body that once bathed you. You spoon-feed the lips that once kissed your cuts and bruises and made them well. You comb the hair that used to playfully cascade over you to make you laugh. Her naps are as frequent as yours used to be. You accompany her to the bathroom and wait to return her to bed. She already has a babysitter for New Year's Eve, and you never thought it would be this way. And then one day, while riding with your daughter, 
She slams on brakes and her arm flies out instinctively in front of you and the windshield. And you find yourself thinking, oh Lord, I never thought it would be so soon. I was at Forehand Family Reunion a couple of years ago. We were meeting at Herman Park and, uh, and uh, some of the uncles were sitting in lawn chairs and they said to me, Jim, those tables over there need wiping down. Can you take care of it? And I said, sure, be glad to. And I went over and got several of, of my son's generation. I said, guys, come here. I need your help. And I, and I got some cleaning supplies and I gave them to them. I said, come on over here, guys. Th- those tables need cleaning. And so while they're wiping the tables down, one of them in the middle of the journey looked up at me and said, how come we're doing all the work and you're just standing there? <clears throat> I said, let me explain something to you, son. Uh, you see those men over there in the lawn chair? They told me to get it done. I'm telling you to do it. One day, before you know it, I'll be sitting in those lawn chairs, and you'll be standing here. But until then, you missed a spot. (laughs) Those are the realities of life, guys, and we have to deal with them. When the roles begin to reverse, though, it can be stressful. It can be emotional. Did I mention it can be emotional? Some parents stubbornly insist on being their own boss, even when they have no ability to do it. They're no longer capable of it. Some children determine to take over before it's time. Whatever it is, it can be incredibly difficult. Barbara Crossley wrote an article when her mom was 83 that she simply called How to Enjoy uh, Your Elderly Parents. And she gives five practical suggestions. You may want to jot these down, or again, you can go to the Bridge at North Carolina uh, app and, uh, and get these notes. But there are five things that she suggests you might want to consider as your parents age. First of all, shift yourself into a lower gear. Let's be honest, guys, we're addicted to going fast. We want to get there fast. We've got something else to get to fast. We've got six more things we've got to get done. But the elderly are not, and so we need to downshift. We need to slow down. They can't come up to our pace. We have to go down to theirs. Suggestion number two, touch them often. Sometimes with the emotion of all this kind of stuff, it becomes more awkward to touch them than it once did. But a hand on a shoulder, a holding of a hand, a touching an elbow as you walk may be awkward for both of you when you realize what's going on here. But it communicates love. Touch is an important part of communicating love. Suggestion three, plan a family outing. Gives them something to look forward to when quite often their days are spent with nothing to do and nobody to talk to. Uh, it, it gives them something to look forward to. And ask them when you have that outing to, to let's put family memories together. Let's put our family history together. And, and I need your help, Mom. I need your help, Dad, putting this history together. Because the reality is they can't remember what they had for lunch today, but they can remember vividly what happened 60 years ago. And if that doesn't get captured, then that family history can get lost. Kim sits with her mom often now. And, uh, and again, Miss Almeida's struggling uh, to, to, uh, to keep up with what's going on around her on a given day. And, but, man, she's telling Kim stories that she never heard from her own childhood, and so those are important times. Number four, shop for them. Buy them a new outfit or, or get them some ice cream or something, just something they like. It's not a, the gift is not important. It's that you were thinking about them when you weren't there that sends a clear message how much you love them. But finally and most importantly, remember, The best gift is time. It doesn't ultimately matter what you do. Just do it with them. 
Uh, it's, an, it's an amazing experience to go to a lot of nursing homes, and if you haven't, I would challenge you to do it just for your own sake, but it's an amazing experience to go to some nursing homes and see dozens and dozens of elderly people just sort of waiting to die, and nobody ever comes around. And a limited staff is doing their best to provide whatever love and care that they can. And quite often that becomes stressful and frustrating. And, and, and bad things happen in those environments sometimes. And so it's critical that we stay in touch, that we give them the gift of time. Sometimes we just ask a question and we let them talk. And yes, it's okay that they've already told you that story 47 times. Just listen. Kim and I, of course, left the area 40 years ago to go to the mission field and then to plant a church in another state. And I didn't get a lot of that time with my mom over those years. And so the year and a half that I had with her before she passed are precious for me when I would slip over and have lunch with her the Sunday before she passed. We had dinner together. And she was fine. She was healthy. She was vital. We went to a restaurant. We saw friends. We just kind of hung out and had a good time together. And yes, she told me stories I'd heard many times before. That Wednesday when someone from her church picked her up for church, she told the lady confidently as she got in the car, I'm going to be healed today, tonight. And uh, sure enough, they went to church and came home and mom dressed for bed and she sat down on the couch. And sometime during that night, she lay down on the couch and she woke up in Jesus' presence. And I am so glad for that year and a half that I had with her a couple of times during those years. I would say, Mom, I, I wish I had more time. I, I got to get back to Virginia. I wish I had more time. And she'd say, oh, it's okay, son. You're serving the Lord. You're, you're following God's call. I, I understand you're busy. But, Mom, you were busy when I was coming up, and you gave me time. Please don't ever apologize to me for asking for my time because I want to give you my time. That can be an incredibly emotional season. But, guys, if your parents live long enough, uh, you will be thrilled that you handled them well, and you will regret if you don't. The fourth stage uh, is the complete dependence stage. And again, if your parents live long enough, uh, then the odds are good that you're going to have to deal with stage four. John chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old... Uh, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Those are, those are realities, guys. If your parents get old enough, somebody will have to dress them. Somebody will have to care for them. Someone will have to lead them, sometimes in places they don't really want to go. One of the big battles that we had with my mom was uh, she loved her independence. She was an incredibly independent woman, having been widowed at 41, and, and uh, she was just a, a wonderfully strong woman, loved Jesus with all of her heart. She did not want to stop driving. Uh, she had a car accident where she drifted across the road and went head on to another vehicle. No one was injured, thank the Lord. But, uh, but at that point, I said, Mom, you've got to stop driving. And she did not want to stop driving. She said, no, I'm fine. I said, well, what happened today? She said, I don't know. I said, well, did you fall asleep at the wheel? I didn't fall asleep at the wheel. Well, did you get dizzy? I wasn't dizzy. Well, Mom, what happened? You crossed the center line and hit this other car. I don't know, but I'm not going to stop driving. It can be tough. Even though you know what is the right thing to do, it can be incredibly difficult. So the next doctor's visit, uh, 
I pulled the doctor aside and I said, uh, can you do me a really big favor? And the doctor said, sure, I'd be glad to. I said, would you tell my mom that she has to stop driving? Because <laughs> she doesn't want to hear it from me. And so the doctor went in and she told uh, mom, she said, now, Miss Edna, you know you can't be driving anymore. And mom said, yeah, I know. And I went, <laughs> Those are tough. Those are tough. There was a lady in the first church that Kim and I pastored many years ago. Her name was Miss Lula. She had never seen a doctor in her life. Never. She had her babies with a midwife. Uh, she'd never been to a doctor in her whole life. When she was 91, she fell and broke her hip. I got the word that it happened, and I went to the hospital to see her, and, and they put her in a room while they were preparing an OR because they had to put a pin in her hip. And, and when I got in, the first thing she said is, preacher, tell him to take me home. And I said, well, Miss Lula, they can fix your hip where you can walk again. And she said, I don't need to walk again. They can strap one leg to the other, put me in a rolling chair. I'll be fine. I want to go home. I finally looked at her and said, got right down in front of her and said, Miss Lula, they're not going to let you go home until you can walk. And I saw her set her jaw. Ten days later, I went to visit her, and she's walking down the hallway of that hospital with a walker, determined to go home. And her daughter said, Mom, I need you to come live with me. She said, No, I'm not. I'm going to my house. It can be tough. Yes, Lord, we're listening. Just whatever you want to say. It can be difficult, right? when they're too feeble to go down the stairs on their own or they can't be trusted to start the stove because they might not remember to turn it off or the mental faculties begin to slip because of dementia or Alzheimer's. Those are tough times, and they can be emotional times. Did I mention it's emotional? I went to visit uh, Belle Lothian one time in the hospital. She was 88. We buried her husband when he was 90, and... Uh, the lady in the bed next to her, she was in a semi-private room, and while I'm talking to Miss Bell, the lady in the bed next to her said, well, who is this handsome young man? And I thought, <clears throat> it's been a while since I've heard either one of those, handsome or young. And so after I prayed with Miss Bell, I decided I would go minister to this perceptive young lady <laughs> in the bed beside her. And while I'm talking to her, I said, hi, I'm Pastor Jim. The lady that was there to provide care for her, she said, she has Alzheimer's. She doesn't know what she's talking about. So I went from the top of the world to the pits, but isn't that the way it is? Sometimes when you're caring for people of this age, sometimes it can be incredibly difficult because they need a lot of care, and quite often instead of thank yous, you get pushback. Those are the realities. Just prepare yourself to deal with that and understand that's not unique to your family or to your parents. Those are realities. If your parents reach the stage where they need care, then you, you basically have to face one of three options. There are only three available out there that I know of. If there's a fourth, you can come tell me what it is, but you can move them into a nursing home, which can be expensive, hard to find one that you like, even if you can't afford it, uh, and uh, it, it, it can be incredibly stressful. I mean, if they can get, if they get uh, available for Medicaid, they have to spend all of their assets down to just a few thousand dollars before Medicaid will cover those expenses. It can be upsetting to the parents and to the children alike, uh, but it may be the only option available. It just may be the only thing. It may be that they need medical attention. You can move them into your home. You can take care of them yourself, but that's demanding. That's disruptive. That's difficult for the family, and quite often they need more than you're able to provide for them. Or you can hire a nurse and bring that nurse into your home and take care of them. But even that can be incredibly expensive and hard to find. We were blessed with my mom. She was able to live at home right up until she passed because my sister-in-law, 
who's now part of the Bridge family, uh, she lived two miles down the road from mom, and, and so she'd come and check on her every morning and make sure she took her meds and made sure that she had everything ready for the day, and she'd take her to the doctor and do those kinds of things when, when my sister and brother and I were not close enough to do those day by day. But everybody doesn't have that kind of option. Hear me, guys. Those decisions are tough decisions. And they create all kinds of stress on the family. Uh, quite often during that season, the mother, who was so unselfish all the years, suddenly becomes demanding and critical. And, and the dad, who was so happy, becomes kind of surly and hard to manage. I mean, those are the realities. There was one lady who was as, as, uh, as precious a saint as I've ever known. She was one of those people that never said a harsh word about anybody her whole life that I knew anything about. And that was her claim to fame. She said, Mama never said a harsh word about anybody. And in her late years, as she got into Alzheimer's, I would visit her in the nursing home, and she would throw out a string of cuss words. And I'd say, Miss Boykin, that doesn't sound like you. And she'd go, hee, 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 I just cussed in front of the preacher. <laughs> Who knows what was going on in her mind? But changes just happen, guys. And then there's the guilt associated with, did I do the right thing? Am I handling this the right way? Should I have done it differently as we look back on it, guys? And then there's second-guessing family members and say, why did you do that? Shouldn't you have done that? And then you've got sibling rivalries where brothers and sisters don't necessarily agree on what needs to happen. I mean, those are real deals. I've got to move on, but I need you to hear me say there are no right or wrong answers to this thing other than don't do what's best for you. Do what's best for them. That's the only right answer. You need to factor in their attitudes, their needs, their, the resources, the impact on the whole family and all the people that are touched by them. Uh, You've you got to factor that in. Doug Manning wrote a book called When Love Gets Tough, The Nursing Home Decision. If you're facing that in your life, I would encourage you to get that book. It's not a brand new book, but it's just as current in, in principle as it ever could be. Christian writer, When Love Gets Tough, The Nursing Home Decision. He says, at best... The choice is difficult, distasteful. None of the options are what you want for them. Uh, he talks about a woman who boasted, I'll never put my mother in a nursing home. Other people will do it, but I never will. So she built a room onto her house and brought her mother home. And even though her mother de demanded 24-hour care, they eventually hired a nurse, and, and the daughter took a job outside the home, partly to pay for the nurse, but partly just to get a break from providing the care sometimes. Um, but even then, it was incredibly difficult on the family, he writes. Uh, as soon as she got home from work, she relieved the nurse, and she took up the care from there. Um, uh, Dr. Manning says, I watched that happen for four years simply because the wife didn't want or the daughter didn't want to deal with the guilt of moving her mother into a nursing facility. But hear me, this is important, a direct quote from his book, The Cost of Avoiding That Guilt cost everybody else, including her mom, because sometimes that's the kind of care they need. You don't put them there and warehouse them and forget them. You continue to care for them, but you get professionals to help you, and if you feel guilty, deal with that guilt. My stepfather uh, had to go into a facility for the last couple of years of his life. He got to the place where he would just wander off at night, and they found him on the ditch bank at 3 o'clock in the morning one night, 25-degree weather, and they locked the house, but then he found other ways to get out, and then he got to where he would fall, and Mom couldn't pick him up. We had no choice but to put him in a facility, and it was incredibly painful for my mom, who went to see him every day, 
Uh, and she would tell me every day as she was leaving, he would say, aren't you going to take me home today? But mom had the courage and the wisdom to say, we're going to do what's best for Max, not what's best for how I feel. That can be hard, guys, and incredibly difficult. Hear me. Love is giving people what they need, not what they want. And you have to look at it through that lens. Jesus said, Matthew 25, 40, I tell you the truth, anything you did for even the least of my people here, you also did for me. <clears throat> I got to close. But I found a, a, a quote that I thought I'd share with you at closing that was so impactful for me. I hope it'll be helpful to you. Dr. Paul Ruskin, who is a ger geriatric doctor and a psychiatrist in Baltimore, Maryland, writes this. He said, I started my lecture to a class of graduate nurses studying the psychological aspects of aging with the following case study. The patient nearly spe uh, neither speaks nor comprehends the spoken word. Sometimes she babbles incoherently for hours on end. She is disoriented about person, place, and time. She does, however, respond to her own name. I've worked with her for the past six months but she still shows complete disregard for her physical appearance and makes no effort to assist in her own care. She must be fed, bathed, and clothed by others. Because she has no teeth, her food must be pureed. Her shirt is almost always soiled with incessant drooling. She doesn't walk. Her sleep pattern is erratic. Often she wakes in the middle of the night and her screaming awakens others. Most of the time, she's friendly and happy, but several times a day, she's quite agitated without apparent cause and will not be comforted. Dr. Ruskin writes then, I would ask the nurses how they would feel about caring for such a patient, and most of them would say uh, frustrated, uh, maybe annoyed, depressed. And then I would pass around a picture of my six-month-old daughter. And I would ask, why is it so much more difficult to care for someone in the last six months of their life than it is to care for someone in the first six months of theirs? Maybe it's because the infant represents potential and hope and new life. Maybe it's because we're forced to face our own mortality. Whatever the reason, we need to change our perspective. Those who are at the end of their lives, helpless to care for themselves, deserve the same care and attention as those who are starting. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And because of Jesus, it isn't the end of life. It is, in fact, preparation for the life that is forever. And because of Jesus, we can look at it differently during that season because we will be together forever. And I pray that if you have the blessing of having your parents around long enough to deal with these issues, you will one day look back and say, I'm glad that God helped me with the grace, the courage, the wisdom, and the emotional strength to provide for them the way they deserve to be provided for. And I pray that you will 
be able to say, I can't wait to see them again and hear them say, thank you. You did good by me. Let's pray. Father, we know this is an emotional topic, and we know that it's, it's one that, quite frankly, all of us in some ways hope to face because it means our parents have been with us for a long time, and we want them to be with us as long as possible. So I just pray for grace. I pray for wisdom. I pray for strength. I pray that we would be role models of what Christian grace really looks like as followers of Jesus Christ and that we will give to our parents those things that we needed when we started our journey and one day we'll need as we end ours. Thank you for the way you set up the family across generational lines. And thank you for making up the difference between what we're capable of and what the family around us needs from us. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I do want you to pray a prayer with me, if you will. It may be a prayer related to your own parents, or it may be a prayer related to your own life. Whichever it is, would you pray with me silently or aloud? Use your own words if you want, but something like this, Jesus, I need you. Because the truth is, I don't have what it takes to deal with the stuff that life is throwing at me on any given day. When it comes to this topic, I know I'll be overwhelmed. So would you be my source, Lord? Would you forgive me for the ways I've handled this badly in the past and remind me that you are the God of second chances? And would you give me the grace to be the gracious person you've called me to be? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you're here this morning and sometime during this service you've decided to follow Jesus, we really want to know that. Maybe during that prayer, maybe during the baptismal service, maybe during one of those songs you said, you know what, I need to follow Jesus Christ. We really want to know it. Would you send me a text? New life to 55498. Just send it to me. I'll get in touch with you. I want to pray for you. Um, if you've got a connect card, you can put it there. There'll be older workers. In fact, the older workers are coming now to be here in the front. You can come pray with somebody before you leave uh, here today. Take advantage of that opportunity, but let us know how we can minister to you in the days ahead, okay? Father, thank you for the chance to be in your house. Thank you for what you're doing as you speak into our lives. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would be glorified in the way we live out our lives at every stage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Remember, today is one for change. The ushers are at the door. Drop your dollar in. We're going to bless this community as you do. The altars are open. Take advantage of your opportunity. Come and pray.